Hello, hello. It's another case of mixtape and identity, and my guest this week is Charlie Lewin. Thank you so much for joining me. This is episode 62 of Mixed Open Identity with comedian Charlie Lewin. First things first, similar to last week, if you are in the UK, if you have the opportunity to get to Edinburgh, then please do so and consider buying tickets to go see Charlie perform at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Uh, I'll be there, if that's an incentive, but uh, I've heard lots of good things about Charlie's show. Uh, Charlie, uh, very modestly, did mention that uh, he was the winner of the Best Newcomer Award at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival in 2021. Um, so, an incredibly gifted comedian. I've heard a lot of good things. I'm very excited to go see his show. So, if you have the opportunity, if you have the chance, please go and see him. I'm very excited to get Charlie on. This is a show that is over a year in the making. I contacted Charlie initially back in March of last year. And he came back to me in January and said, sorry, I missed this message. <laughs> do you still want to do the podcast? Um, and yeah, it took us a while to get it organized from there. But I'm very glad that I was able to sit down with him. I had an amazing time. Really fun time with the, with the playlist. Um, very musical theater centric, which I enjoy. I like a, I like a playlist where there's a, a sort of a theme and yeah, some, some absolutely great tunes in here as well. I had a great time chatting with Charlie. It's a it's a really fun conversation. I don't really have much else to say. We'll dive in. I'll be back at the end of the episode, but for now, this is episode 62 of Mixtape and Identity with Charlie Lewin. How often do you actually listen to music at the moment, Charlie? All the time. Non-stop. Yeah. I am... Um constantly having to have music playing or i will be left with my own thoughts yeah okay yeah i feel that um (laughs) and are you are you ever trying to find new music or do you tend to go back to your old familiar i have a bass playlist on spotify that has stuck with me for maybe eight ten years now and It takes a lot for me to add a new song to it because I'm like, well, it has to hold up to this like grand standard of classics that I can guarantee are going to make me feel good and that I love. Sure. But I do also try and push myself. I have, um, I'll use like um, Spotify radio and to try and generate new songs every month. And I will right. have a playlist for every month called like, you know, Generation 6 or Generation 7. And uh-huh. any song that I like that I find that's fresh and new and cool, um, I will put into this playlist. And I sometimes I will just force myself, even if I don't love the songs yet, I'm like, I need to mm. adapt to... <laughs> The changing landscape of music, and I can't just be listening to the same, you know, 50 tracks on repeat. Yeah, yeah. But I'm definitely, like, all in when it comes to music. Like, when I find a song that I love, Mm. I will just play it 300 times in a row for a day straight. Yeah, I think that's that's the way things go now. It's like that, um, you know, If I Were a Fish song. No, Um, (laughs) What's this? If I were a fish, this is like 
This is the most famous thing on TikTok right now. I know. Is it, oh, the, is uh, that the I kind of fish, the chant? It's a it's a little it's a little song. If I were a fish and you caught me, you'd say, "Look at that fish." Oh my god, I've somehow missed this. My algorithm oh, is... is sending me just nonsense at the moment. All right, okay. Well, it is it is nonsense, but it's um, yeah, like it's a very it's a very cute video. Um, it's a an artist who was saying that they had a bad day and they wrote this song and it's all about like self love, and they just wrote this like like one little verse and a chorus and. The internet just loved it. And then I feel like what happens is like when you find something that the internet loves, they'll just like crush it. They'll just like hold it in their hand and then crush Suck it. Suck the soul so out of it. Move. Yeah, exactly. Um but I do that with like with like certain videos and songs where it's just like I can't help but just like continually watch this over and over again until I can't stand it anymore. Um But yeah, I used to have a I used to have a playlist that um would just like stick with me i talk about this a lot on the show but like my my songs before i started doing this show was basically like my you know your top 100 songs from spotify like 2017 playlist was my most listened to playlist in 2018 yes and then it just fades on itself because you affirm those yeah, songs so it's like exactly yeah became this sort of condensed thing and i i think what you're doing is really good like like actually forcing yourself to listen to new stuff and trying to like incorporate that if you can because what i did was i just listened to those 100 songs and then i got to a point where i didn't like listening to new music and i didn't like any of the songs on my playlist so i thought i guess i just don't like music now that's just not for me um which is a weird position to be in um so yeah i think i think that uh trying to find the new stuff within that is a it's quite a healthy thing yeah and it's always so nice like that feeling it's like when you have an, a good book or something like that and you feel transported for a moment like when i have a mm. new song that i'm obsessed with like um it's like falling in love you know it's it's this whole new exciting physiological thing and i don't know yeah. why i am ever like scared to try something new because it's like at some point all of my favorite songs was a new song you know yeah. yeah i had to breach sure. that at some point so clearly there's great stuff out there that i need yeah. to keep looking for <laughs> yeah yeah depends on the mood though i think uh, especially when, when you said like about being alone with your thoughts i think that's a that's a big thing because sometimes that that playlist for me those, those songs i knew there's a certain like comfort blanket kind of element to it as well where i don't have to think too much about what's going on it's like like you know rewatching the office for the 15th time it's like yeah i know everything yeah. about this but and i'm potentially not it's even safe. enjoying it but it's there <laughs> it's you know yeah, it's yeah. yeah exactly and i have a lot of um a lot of my taste overlaps with my love of theater and so i have like yeah. a healthy um actually probably unhealthy i have an unhealthy obsession with musical theater and i adore it and because of that um a lot of the songs that i listen to are you know broadway tracks or indie musical tracks and Mm. they will lean towards like character and like very like expressive 
sort of like narrative kind of songs where someone's like pouring their heart out or like trying to figure out some kind of emotional shift in their life. And so I think because that's what I studied at uni and I was very like, um, like I love writing music and I love writing musicals. I, my standard for like what makes an an interesting kind of like hooky song becomes Mm. very um, set around character and so sometimes when I listen to like just you know generic pop or other songs they can feel a bit um, a bit empty on the like character side like it doesn't really have that same heart so if I find a song that is like catchy and fun but it's got like heart or some sense of story or grandeur to it I'm like wow this is cool like you didn't even need to Mm. do this and you've done it Um, yeah it can be very appealing yeah yeah it's interesting I I think I feel very similarly about um, like I've been sort of very anti-pop music for a long time but my it's a slightly different angle to what you were saying but I think a similar sort of theme which is that um, I'm very into lyrics so like the, the kind of music that I like I really like like um artists who you know talk about maybe dark themes or like are, are very poetic in their language i'm just like I, I really really like like a good lyric um so yeah for me again similar to what you're saying like some pop music does feel a little bit like i don't know empty is a good word for it but a little conceited um you, there are certain songs you can t- you can tell that have just been like churned out um yeah. I went on a podcast uh, not that long ago and basically ripped into Calvin Harris for um, As forty do. minutes because well I just it was the it was the format of the show but um, but yeah like I just it's very cynically written that was basically the main theme of of why I don't connect with Calvin Harris is like um, it's like mean culture it's it's you know it's written like feels is a good example because they wrote feels because feels was a word that was doing the rounds it was like a thing um and yeah it just doesn't it just leaves me very cold a lot of the time um but at the same time i think it's it's something i've tried to loosen up on a little bit more some some pop songs are just fun pop songs and they don't necessarily have to have a lot of depth to them but sometimes that's the like the joy of it like i found that because i can be a little bit snobbish so to speak about like oh you know i love like very like deep like emotional songs that like have like a real sense of like an arc to them it can be Mm. very nice to take off my director's hat sometimes and to just have a song that's like this is just pure confection there is no yeah like sense of like they're not trying to you know change the world that they're just having fun and i can enjoy like switching off that part of my brain and just have like a sensory experience and i find that yeah for pop music like that i i almost like don't even listen to the lyrics it's like i'm becoming just like sensory and i'm like you know it's just nice sounds i love the melody and the and the hook and the and the feel of it more than anything like some of my favorite pop songs that are this kind of confection, I don't even know what it's about. I've never even thought right. about the lyrics, but I just love the the ambience that it creates. Um, yeah, it's kind of like I know a lot of friends in theater that are 
you know, directors or dramaturgs and that kind of stuff who spend their days, you know, working scripts and thinking about character motivations and this kind of stuff. And it makes it hard to just watch a movie and to just enjoy it right, because sure. they can't switch off that. Yeah. Like, what would I have done and how would I fix this and, and that kind of stuff. So a lot of them actually, mm-hmm. and I relate to this, enjoy reality TV most of all as a pleasure because it's just like, well, this is so outside my sphere. This has no conceit about being artful. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's just absolute take it or leave it. And I feel like that about a lot of pop music. It's like, sometimes it's just, let's just have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's it's been a journey to get to that point, but I'm I'm, I'm glad I'm there. Some music's just fun. Um, all right, well, look, we'll we'll jump into the list. So, song one is a song you fell in love with straight away. You've gone for "Hypnotize" by Purple Disco Machine and Sophie and the Giant. Yes, I mean, I don't think what we were literally just talking about. I could find a better song that <laughs> is an emblem of this exact phenomenon. I don't know what it's about. Yeah, sure. I don't know who these people are. <laughs> I don't know what this collab is. Yeah. I've never heard of Purple Disco Machine and I've never heard of Sophie and the Giants. But somehow they came right. together and they made this yeah. delicious pop song that the second yeah. I heard it, it's got that tinkering start where it's sort of like the almost like xylophonic bass thing that starts at the at the top and I was like I'm obsessed I don't even know what this is but I'm obsessed and it is always at the top of my like feel good rev up playlists anytime I need to feel Mm -hmm. some sense of fun I put this on yeah yeah I I I, I'm I'm not very good at uh, music terminology so I think xylophonic is uh, as good as we're going to get there, but I think that makes <laughs> sense. Um, it, uh, oh god, yeah, it's it's so much fun, and and this kind of song is exactly why I'm so glad that I was able to climb out of my own arse uh, when it comes to like pop music. Um, like I went on a journey with like um, big theme of this show was like Carly Wedge Epson, um, ah. like coming around to. One coming around to the fact that like some some pop songs, as we say, are just fun. Like I really, really, really like you. Nothing about that. She's but a it's, genius it's, when it comes to fun. those kind of songs. Yeah, but she's also written some like incredibly deep and complex pop songs. Like she is like genuinely a genius. Um, and I'm so glad that I've got to that point in this journey for, for exactly for songs like this because this was one of the most fun songs i've listened to in a long time and um i think yeah like the sort of good mood atmosphere of it is is definitely a thing i connect with like i've just been like i feel like i'm talking about this on every episode now but uh we've had nice weather in belfast um recently and we don't get nice weather a lot but um i just like a bit of heat Sun, uh, like uh, windows down in the car, and this song playing has been an absolute joy. It's yeah, it's, yeah, it's a it's perfect a, it's driving a, song. It's a great pop song. It's really, really nice. And something about the way that she sings—it's sort of she's got like a, a strong but deep voice, and yeah. 
it's very cash how she's singing. It's it, it's sort of she's yeah. not belting or super getting into it, and it's all just very smooth and fun, and mm-hmm. it is like hypnotizing. There's something just it's sort of like it activates this part of my brain. I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> I'm just yeah, you know, taken yeah. by it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, perfect. Uh, has it made it onto your ultimate playlist, or is this just? A... Oh, absolutely. It has. Okay, excellent. Yeah, excellent. but that was one Glad of those ones that I, I discovered based on just forcing myself to explore and. Right. Um, it it came up and it was just like immediate. I was like, yeah. yes, that's the one, and I know I'm going to become <laughs> obsessed with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's so good. Uh, all right. So song two is a song that took you a while. And you've gone for Revenge Party from the Mean Girls musical. Yes. Now, this is a bit of a hard sell, I know. Okay. But um, I don't know if you have a bit of a history with music theatre at all. Not particularly, no. Yeah. Well, then this is definitely a hard sell. Um, okay. Because it's a bit of a... Um, it's obviously a very poppy, current, like, sort of fun, trashy musical that has come out recently. Um, sure. And I I picked this song because it's the quintessential um, like fun song of the main characters from the show. But I honestly could have picked any song from the Mean Girls musical for this question because I was like, initially when I heard it, I was at uni at the time studying music theatre. And so I was in my right. most pretentious theatery snob zone sure and i was studying you know the grand history of musical theater and finding all of these really interesting thoughtful cult musicals that no one had ever heard of before and right my professor would sort of teach us about you know underrated shows and that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. there's there was a definite sense within that crowd that all of these like pop musicals like you know Legally Blonde, Mean Girls the Musical, this kind of stuff mm-hmm. that they're just trashy and terrible. Right. And when I first listened to the show, I was like, oh no, this is kind of vacuous and empty. Right. And I didn't really think on it again until years later uh-huh. when I gave it another go. And I realized um that there was actually a lot more in the lyrics and in the composition of the score mm-hmm. that was very impressive to me. Right. And similar to um, Legally Blonde, the musical, which I actually say is one of the best, like, in terms of, like, hitting every beat that you need to in a musical uh, mm-hmm. as a structural device, Legally Blonde is definitely up there. Um, with Mean Girls, I was like, oh my God, there's actually so much thought gone into this and I was being right. yeah, snobbish to not embrace it. And this song, Revenge Party, is, if you know in the movie, when um, Katie Harron and Damien and Janice Ian, they all kind of decide to gang up on Regina and take revenge. Sure. Um, and they come up with their plan to destroy her and take her down. This yeah. song is that on steroids and it is just so fun 
and yeah. um, there's a lot of like musical themes throughout the musical. They make these motifs for all the different characters. Like Regina George has this ongoing like Bond theme, so she's right. sort of like both. It's like she is Bond, but also she's the villains in Bond. Um, okay. And so all of her orchestral moments are really sumptuous and brassy and like like um, sinister. And then right. you have Gretchen Wieners, you know, her subservient number two, who's uh-huh. all of her music is really um, peppy and manic and sort of like um, syncopated and this kind of stuff. And then you have fun songs like this where you get multiple characters interacting and the the modes shift and yeah, I could go mm-hmm. on for hours about it, but I <laughs> I definitely realized there was a lot more going on for me to sink right. my teeth into in this musical than I had yeah. expected. And so it definitely surprised right. me. Okay. Makes sense. Um thought it was really, really fun. I it, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed listening to this and I, I honestly didn't really expect to uh just because I, I think typically because i don't i don't know a huge amount of uh about uh musical theater but i typically find it quite difficult to get into like one song in a musical the- uh theater piece that i don't know much about like like as an example i've had a few playlists that have had songs from rent oh yeah um on it uh, and i've not seen it um, so when I'm listening to some of those songs, some of them I can connect with, some of them I can't really because I don't really know the narrative behind it and I don't know where it fits in the story. And I'm like, I can kind of see what's going on in the in the, in the the song itself, but there's obviously other things going on that would inform how I maybe should yeah. feel about it. Um, I think the fact that I really like Mean Girls, the movie, helped with this. Um, it's, just, it's, it's an awful lot of fun. I think I felt similar about Mean Girls... Uh, the movie as you do about the musical like I thought I think I thought initially it was like very trashy and then I think it came around to the more of a sort of you know it's it's good for like a chick flick kind of movie and then like more recently I've just been like it's just a great movie oh, it's just a really really well written comedy that script is airtight there's not a single it is, yeah. dead beat in yeah. it it is just hit after hit after hit every line is crafted so funny and yeah. sharp and incisive and like yeah yeah there's a reason that it has stuck around as this like iconic thing that we kind of come back to and this musical yeah. has been such a hit that they're actually making a movie of the musical um that's coming <laughs> out next year and um wow. Tina Fey has written it so she and her husband actually wrote the musical as well her husband is a composer and he wrote all the music for 30 rock um okay and then they for 30 rock yeah they had like all of the songs in 30 rock uh jeff richmond which is her husband right and then they paired up with the lyricist from legally blonde the musical um Uh uh-huh and wrote this show but yeah for the movie that they're going to make of it Tina Fey is writing it and updating it to a new audience as well um, which is very exciting and I imagine it's going to be a lot of fun yeah I mean I I basically love everything that Tina Fey does so yeah I'm already on board Um, 
the only song just when you said 30 rock the only song i can remember from 30 rock is uh when they had denise richards do um lappy <laughs> yeah do you remember that yes i do well i mean there's because it wasn't a musical show there long. wasn't like a lot of opportunities for it but like basically any song that jenna yeah. was singing like in the studio or like you know like oh, like okay, muffin gotcha. top yeah, yeah, yeah. um and random yes. shit like that yes oh muffin top yeah that's a great one yeah but okay. i think i think yeah. it was actually working on 30 rock that made him really want to write a musical because he's like i'm a legitimate composer and i feel like i'm just being yeah. like kept in the corner like write a little 30 second jingle that we can have in the background of an episode about you know a microwave you know and he's like give me something <laughs> real <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so funny just about like the torture genius of uh yeah someone who's gone done all this training yeah. and then it's been asked to write exactly uh it's a great song though. it That's is so much fun um all right perfect as uh, so we'll move on song three is a song from your introduction to music so you're going for complicated by i think you just sent me avril uh avril levine oh yeah i mean who else it's, there's no other yeah, avril. exactly <laughs> um I have so many feelings about this song. I adore it. It's a perfect pop song for starters and Mm -hmm. her voice is amazing. And this was like the beginning of that, like cool girl era in music that was really, um, taking shape at that time. But for me, the reason that I, it's like my introduction to music is because it was sort of that age for me where, I was like, you know, going out and getting my first single or like actually thinking about like songs that I wanted to come back to rather than songs that were just given to me by my parents or like played in the car. Sure. But having said that, my dad was obsessed with Avril Lavigne's first album and would play Complicated. And um, I felt like because my dad was quite like, like if my dad likes something, he likes it. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. There's no in-between. There's no bargaining with him it's just clean cut yeah and so i would always feel like when there were songs or things that i liked that dad wasn't keen on it would feel like a sort of like i can't like i can't like fully love this thing because dad doesn't love it um right but for some reason he was just super into avril lavigne and was like she's cool and she's so um an amazing songwriter and I was like, she yeah. is, Dad. Oh, my God. And then it felt like this, like, seal of approval. I was like, if Dad approves of Avril Lavigne, then she's a bona fide hit, right. you know? Sure. Um, yeah. And so I've always had this fondness for Avril Lavigne because it felt like the transition of me being like, you know what, I can have my own taste and I can have my own sensibility, but there's always going to be that part of me that's like, I want my parents to approve. I, I want that <laughs> sticker. Um, yeah, and I have carried a sort of like Avril Lavigne element throughout my life and in my shows in comedy as well I come back to her a lot because I love and sometimes genuinely do believe this conspiracy theory uh-huh. that um, Avril Lavigne actually died in 2003 and okay. was replaced by an industry planted clone from the Canadian government 
of uh-huh. some like replacement singer because they were like, this girl was going places. We don't want to lose this like cultural mm-hmm. thing. So when she died, they just replaced her with an actor called Melissa and that there are people out there who genuinely believe that Avril's gone and that this new girl, Melissa, has just taken her place. Right. And it's okay. just so funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I went down a real Avril Lavigne is a clone conspiracy rabbit hole during yeah. lockdown. And I just right. watched these, like, YouTube dissection videos from conspiracy theorists. And I right. was like, I don't believe it, but I'm intrigued. And mm. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. There's, there's something about that. There, um, yeah, I, I I got really into um, Flat Earth. Uh, yes. Can, um, not I, I'm not saying that I believe the Earth is flat, but I got really into like watching people argue that the Earth is flat. Um, because they're all off their heads. Like it, there's it's so dumb. All the arguments are so dumb, but they sound really smart. And then yeah. they're very easily taken apart, but it's yeah, it's very easy to get sucked into that kind of conspiracy. And Avril Lavigne passing away and being replaced by a clone is just just fun enough to just make me want to just just believe it. I know, just for the sake of believing it, it's such a funny spectacle. Yeah. I genuinely want to write a musical about the Avril Lavigne conspiracy and like (laughs) use some of the original tracks and make it somewhat of a jukebox musical, but also have this new like Melissa's journey, you know, like I want to be me. I want to step out from Avril Lavigne's shadow and there's something in it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. The beauty of that is that if it gets big enough, then Avril's going to have to make some kind of statement about it. Absolutely. Or Melissa. Yeah. And it's yeah. also just like unverifiable, which is what I love. Like there's no real way that you could ever be like, no, I legit am Avril Lavigne. Because there's always going to be someone who's like, yeah, but you changed your fingerprints and this happened. And... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Perfect. I mean, that, that went in a direction I was not expecting, but that's good. Um, song four is a song that makes you happy. So yours is There's Still a Light in the House by Valley. Uh, this one snuck up on me recently and yeah. I think it came possibly during lockdown um, when things were really bad here in Melbourne and yeah. it was it's just such a like gentle ambient melancholy kind of song that mm. um it just like hit me in the right time and I found it quite hopeful sure. and like it's this I find that if songs are very like super sweet sometimes I don't I can't like connect with it because it just feels too one dimensional but when it, when it's melancholy sometimes they're the songs that make me the happiest because I'm like that feels real right like having that sense sure. of sadness acknowledged with the yeah. happiness i'm like yeah that that that's reality and that's how i feel and that feels hopeful to me sure. and this song just 
feels so floating and nice. And the idea of coming home from like, especially like late at night or after a night out, and then you come home and there's a light on in the house and somebody's home. That's such a nice image and feels very safe. And Mm. it's, um, it's a nice thing. And I do listen to it a lot at night when I'm coming home from a gig or a show. And, you know, sometimes if I have a gig where I feel on top of the world, it's, you know, that drive home can be great. Mm. But then sometimes if I have a gig and it, you know, it's just, I'm in the middle of nowhere and I might not have gone that great and I feel a bit like hard on myself, that yearning to just like, I just want to go home sure. and I want to um, be comforted and, you know, see my boyfriend and see my dogs. Like it, it's a nice feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I was, I was wondering if it might be something, if that might be the direction the answer goes in because that's uh it tends to be the sort of more poppy upbeat numbers for for this category for a song that makes you happy and um yeah i'm i'm, I'm with you there I, th- I think for for me the songs that make me the happiest the ones that make me sort of feel like at peace i think blissful is the word i use quite a lot on the on this show um and this is maybe like the slightly more as you said, melancholy end of that scale, but I think it's the same thing. It's the it's the sort of it's uh, there's an authenticity to it. I think you know, I've talked about this before, but like for me, the the end goal or the 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 thing that I want to achieve is contentment. I want to feel like at peace in myself, not not necessarily aiming to be like uh, ecstatic exactly i'm not aiming for that every single day if i can be if i can be in a moment and aware that i'm enjoying a moment that that's perfection for me um so it makes a lot of sense that this sort of that would connect with you that way yeah i mean you nailed it like that's that's the feeling and authenticity is definitely the word you know yeah i that that feeling of like you know, life life can be rough, but it's going to be okay. And, yeah. You know, there's this nice thing to look out to. Like, that to me is a much more hopeful, happy feeling than like, life's amazing, let's go party, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, you know, because it just feels like we're all like being like Stepford Wives or something like that and pretending. It's like, why are we pretending we're not all clinically depressed? <laughs> you know? Like, we've got trauma, and I'm not just going <laughs> to pretend that everything's fine. So, yeah. aiming for the middle and being like, yeah, life can be rough, but there's nice things in it, and there are nice people in it that make it worth living. That's yeah. a, that's the happiest thought that I could have. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Um, all right, Grant, song five is a song that makes you sad, so you went for Overreach by Gabrielle. Mm. This one, similarly, in that, like, for the happy song, I kind of pick a melancholy one. I feel like a little bit, like, this is, um, it is a sad song, but it's, it's, it's a love song. Right. And, like, that kind of, like, yearning love song. Yeah. Um, and it's just a lovely song in and of itself, but, um, I, 
I think I first heard it in um, the Bridget Jones's Diary movie. Okay. And which is one of my favorite movies, and it, I, when I was a kid, I misheard the lyrics, and I thought in the chorus when she sang "Out of Reach" that she was saying Valerie. Um, yeah. Because she sort of extends it, and it sounds like Valerie. Yeah. And, um, and then there's also that song out there, you know, Amy Winehouse, Valerie. So I just assumed that Valerie was some kind of like. Um, almost like trope name that like pop songs would use. Sure. And be- because of that, it added this like queer element to it as well. Like I was sort of interpreting it as this woman singing about a woman that she loved called Valerie. Sure. Um, sort of thing. And okay. I, as as a queer kid growing up, um, any kind of songs that. <laughs> whether intentional or not, it seems, that had, yeah. like, a, a sort of queer lens that I could hold on to, um, mm-hmm. I would have an affinity for. And right. even if I didn't recognise it at the time, because I probably wasn't, like, out yet or, like, even had figured myself out, mm. but I knew that there was this yearning in me. Something was different and I had these, you know, feelings and this kind of stuff and a song that felt like it was kind of speaking to that. Yeah. Um, touched me in that way. And right. then, weirdly, in the Bridget Jones universe as well, uh-huh. in, the, in the second movie, I don't know if you've seen it. If you haven't, you got to. Okay. Um, but there's this lovely story about Bridget thinking that Mark, her um, eventual husband... Um, is having an affair or like is cheating on him with this other woman. Mm-hmm. And throughout the film, Bridget is suspicious of her. And um, they have all these encounters with Bridget meeting this other woman. And, and she's always like on paper, very nice, but Bridget thinks that there's all these things going on beneath the surface. Right. And then at the end of the film, you realize um, Bridget kind of just spills it all out and cracks it at this woman. And then this woman is like, Bridget, not only am I not, is this not true? Like, I'm not in love with Mark, but I'm in love with you. Like, I, I've i been holding back these feelings that I have for you, right. and I'm sorry if it's ever felt weird and all this kind of stuff. And then you, there's this really beautiful montage that happens of all the moments throughout the movie that this woman was actually, like, genuine. Like, she was 100% genuine and, like, kind and, like having feelings for Bridget but having to keep herself held back because it's like you know she's taken and she's not gay they're two inhibitors to this thing happening yeah and um it's it was just I think it was the first time that I had seen a queer character yeah in a mainstream movie like that Uh that wasn't the butt of the joke and Bridget I think gives her a kiss and is like it could never be but, you know, if I ever was gay, you'd be the first one I'd call. And it was like this genuine sweet moment about like queer people being out there and like, I don't know. And it just, the fact that it wasn't for a gag and it was just for this nice thematic sincerity. Yeah, sure. Really touched me. And for me, this song, Out of Reach by um, Gabrielle, that I had now realized is called Out of Reach and not Valerie. <laughs> yeah. 
I've just got this kind of like queer Bridget Jones yearning, like women loving women. Yeah. Associations to it. And I just adore it. And, um, it makes me, it takes me back to those feelings of yearning and not being out of the closet and, you know, having Mm. attractions that I felt like were bad or should be made fun of and stuff like that. So it's kind of like a happy sad, but that's how I feel about it. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't know I knew this song until I started listening to it. You sent me Art of Reach. I was like, I don't know that song. And then I start, and then when I heard it, I was like, oh, yeah, this song was massive. Like, of course, I know this song. But yeah. I didn't know it was called Art of Reach because I was the same. I didn't... I, I, Valerie makes sense to me, but I, I can't remember what I thought she was singing in the chorus, but it wasn't Art of Reach. Like, I didn't know what was going on uh, lyrically mm. in the song. Um. So, yeah, it could have been Valerie. Um, and that... That makes sense, um, and it's just a nice song. It's- yeah, it is, and um, yeah, it's a it's a really lovely answer. That I think there are there are times uh, as a straight man doing this show where I get uh, answers where I think it's probably best not to add to that because uh, <laughs> I think you've said everything that uh, needs to be said, and I think that was beautiful. And we'll maybe just move on to song six. Uh, song six is a song to relax to so you went for you learn from the Jack Little Pill musical yeah so um, I obviously love Alanis Morissette just in general sure a lot of great songs um, and Jagged Little Pill is the musical written around her soundtrack basically yeah and I don't think much of the actual show itself. Um, I'm not a fan of the show. Okay. But the actual, um, like, the songs that they've done and the orchestrations and the way that they've added, like, um, like choruses, um, like as in, like an ensemble chorus. Yes. Yeah. And different musical elements to it. It, it it's really lovely to listen to just on a musical level right. um, and nice harmonies and nice um, instruments have been added to sort of beef up some of these like primarily acoustic pop or rock songs and turn mm. it into like a stage show that warrants having you know heaps of characters involved and this yeah. song is just really really nice like um, it's very calming it, it comes at the very end of the show um, and it's the sort of like, life's going to be, life's going to be all good. You know, you make mm. mistakes, but you keep going. And yeah, I, I it, it just makes me feel pretty, you know, at peace or blissful as you were saying before. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's definitely, it's a, it's, it's a good, it's a good mantra. Like the, the idea of, you know, things don't go your way you, you you win or you learn um like yeah things that aren't going your way at least you can take something from it you can improve uh, and um yeah there's a it, it put me in mind even of like uh, there's a, a famous conversation that Stephen Colbert had about grief and loss I don't know if you've seen it at all 
um I won't do it justice if I try to paraphrase it, but the the gist was that um if you are grateful for your life then you have to be grateful for all of it and mm. uh even in grief you can learn things like how to connect with other people who've gone through loss um etc etc again i would highly recommend people look it up because he is incredibly eloquent and uh thoughtful and um as i say i I won't do it justice um but yeah it 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 put me in in mind of that even like the most difficult things we go through there are there is something you can take away from it even if that is just being able to connect with another person who's gone through, through something similar or um yeah yeah uh so it's yeah it's a, it's a it's a very very good a connection yeah and connection is a really good part of that as well because like yeah i think that's why i because i love you learn just by alanis morissette as a yeah. song in itself mm-hmm. but then why i gravitate to the the cast version mm-hmm. i think is because of that element of like i love the idea that there is like you know at any point in time you know everyone's got their own story everyone's going through something mm-hmm. and there's that feeling that we sometimes have where we're like you know i'm the odd one out or like i'm not yeah. living life as i should be and everyone else seems to be yeah but having a whole ensemble kind of like come in with their little moments of in this song adds this layer of like oh everyone has their baggage everyone's got something going on yeah um and th- and that's a relieving thought and makes me feel like quite connected to people and yeah like oh i can keep going yeah yeah absolutely um so a different thing i want to ask you about this um just because obviously um you've you've mentioned it already but there's the there's a big musical theater th- theme uh in your playlist and i I was surprised at how much I enjoyed this because I expected a musical version of an Alanis Morissette song to be quite—I don't know—I just—I I don't know what I was expect. I didn't expect it to be good. Basically, I was curious about how the musical theatre world views that kind of jukebox musical because I think, like, Glee something like Glee could potentially do quite a lot of damage to the <laughs> reputation of like how those songs are interpreted, right? Because um, I feel and, like... And a lot of damage to a lot of growing teens, just in <laughs> general. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we um... live with those scars. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, do, do you know what I mean? Like, like every, every Glee song sounds more or less the same regardless of what song they're doing. Like, they make it the same sort of thing. And Yes. Uh, I... I would be just like from the outside looking in if I saw like there's an Alanis Morissette jukebox musical I would think like like what could they possibly add to Alanis Morissette songs or like how would they change it to make it more musical-ish right? Yes. Um, like are there is, is every musical like good in that way or are there examples of like bad musicals or like where they've not done justice to the to the songs? Yeah. I, yes, there is bad musicals right. out there. Right. That is definitely a fact. And yeah, you're right. Jukebox musicals have a very 
divisive, <laughs> fragile place in the ecosystem of musical theatre sure. discourse. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, for every, like, genuine love fest of, like, you know, a Mamma Mia where it's just, like, unequivocally joyous and it's like, how could you not have fun? Yeah. Um, but something like Mamma Mia, for example, it's like, that is hinged on the fun. You know, right. they're not doing anything musically that is additive. Like, sure. they're just yeah. literally getting, you know, Meryl Streep, Colin Firth, whatever, just sing the song, you yeah. know, or in Pierce Brosnan's case, don't even sing the song. <laughs> Same um, song. Yeah. yeah, they just shove them into the studio and then they're like, let's just shove, make you in Greece, add some fun dancing. And it's like, what's not to love? It's ABBA. You know, you don't yeah. want anything more. But yeah. then there are, and like, that's fine for that because, you know, ABBA has such a camp um, repertoire and a joy that is associated with it that mm. you're, you're going just to have like a karaoke night, basically. Sure. But then there are shows that try and do a lot more uh-huh. and they will take the artist's like repertoire and yeah. genuinely try and fashion something that is additive where it's like, we want to take these songs and use them as like starting points for like a character's emotional transition. Right. You know, between um, some big life-defining moment, you know, because in music theatre, there's this, the best songs are the songs that a a character starts at point A and gets to point B Mm -hmm. and the song is what gets them there. Right. Because if if a character is the same at the start of the song and at the end of the song, then it's static and it's yeah. like, it, it's just a diversion. It's like, cool, you just sung for a couple minutes and we didn't really change. Yeah. But the best songs are where you start off with some premise and then I feel this one way about it, but by the end of the song, I am a changed person now. Yeah. And when you take, you know, a song from like a pop singer or a rock artist or something like that, the good ones often have some element of that in them anyway. Right. Um, and the best jukebox musicals are the ones that make sure that there is a story that is getting us to some new place. Yeah. And like, when when a jukebox musical is done well, you'll just have those moments where you're like, I can't like remove that context in my brain from that mm. song anymore. Right. Like, um, I'm, I'm struggling to think of like jukebox musicals that are like incredible. Oh, like Moulin Rouge is a lot of fun. Mm. Um, doesn't really make more of the songs though. It's just fun. Cause it's a spectacle. Sure. But then there are like really nice things like, um, across the universe, which is the Beatles, um, music, turned into like a jukebox um, thing and it has a movie of this yeah. that is hit and miss. It, it has some songs and some moments work and some don't, but when it works, it really works. And right. there's um, this cover of I Want to Hold Your Hand mm-hmm. um, that interestingly Glee then covered. Um, yeah, But they slow it down and they take the idea of like what was originally just a Beatles song about like literally just I want to hold your hand like let like you seem cute sort Mm. of thing but they slow it down 
and they give it to this cheerleader character that up until that point has had kind of like a vapid presence and you don't really think there's much more shade to her. Right. And you realize that she's singing this yearning song, I want to hold your hand. Like, that's all that I want is just to hold your hand about mm. this other girl in her year. Right. And um, it, it immediately becomes additive and it's like, oh, like putting it in that context about like, you know, yearning for someone and reaching out for that. And again, very, very me and like very sapphic energy <laughs> going on with me. Yeah. Um, but like that would be an instance where it's like the jukebox musical has taken it and made it something new. And now when I hear, right. I want to hold your hand, I can't not think of like this special layer that yeah. theater has added. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. It was just, it was just interesting because I think, Again, from the outside looking in, I think that there are there are definitely certain jukebox jukebox musicals that I look at, and I think it feels a little bit like a cash grab. It's just sort of like, oh. like it's you know they've they've just gone well. Here's a formula that we've got that's been successful, and we can make money from it. So we'll pick an artist, and then we'll throw some songs together. We'll 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 make a uh, a narrative from it. Um, yeah, something that just popped into my head while we were talking about that is like the the very worst example of this have you ever seen um i think it was jenny nicholson did a massive video of it on youtube but it's um the uh this church in the u.s that does like easter musicals every year yes and they do like bastardized versions of musicals yeah yeah i adore it it's so funny yeah (laughs) um yeah my favorite is the just like on this theme is um uh they did the marvel and iron man is crucified on a steel beam while singing uh jumbawamba's tub thumping what the fuck <laughs> i get knocked down but i get up again uh as he's being crucified on a steel beam it's the funniest thing and he's singing earnestly as well and that's so some good. someone somewhere thought like yeah if we slow this song down <laughs> And we move all the references to the alcohol, um, which is like sixty percent of the song. Um, <laughs> it'll have some like new, deeper meaning that will really connect oh with the, the Christian audience. Um, they, you couldn't write it. Like if you were trying to parody Christian musicals or Christian yeah. like propaganda yeah you wouldn't you'd be like oh this is too on the nose this is too much even they wouldn't do this but then you look at it and you're like no they did it yeah they did yeah yeah have you heard of scamilton no they uh, one of those like christian musical groups did a version of hamilton that was Uh like um like they didn't pay for the rights it was completely unofficial and all this kind of stuff but they changed all references to be about like Jesus and this kind of stuff. And they like added like Christian overtones to it and all this kind of stuff. And um, they then sued, uh, like they got sued for it, but all the money that they, um, that Hamilton ended up winning or Uh receiving, they, then immediately donated to like LGBT charities in like middle America yes, um, to infuriate the, the Christian <laughs> group that put on this like scam musical of Hamilton. Oh man. 
that that that's a bit of me. I'm I definitely need to check that out. Um, in fact, I'm gonna type that in to my browser now, and I can look it up once we finished Scamilton. Uh, beautiful. All right. Um, oh, there's a compilation on YouTube. This is great. Um, <laughs> you're gonna love it. It's yeah. so bad and it's so good at the same time. It's just delish. Excellent, excellent. Um, all right. Song seven is a song from your preteen years. So you've gone for "Green Eyed World" by Emil. I have no idea. She's a one-hit wonder. Don't know who she is. Yeah. And to be honest, I was actually surprised that this was even on Spotify. Right. Because this is a real, real deep cut kind yeah. of song. And I remember that it was hard to find and not particularly popular uh-huh. because when I discovered it, which is when I was in my preteens, it was in the Hating Alison Ashley soundtrack, which I'm guessing you haven't seen, but is this Australian um, low-budget teen like rom-com comedy thing based on an Aussie book called Hating Alison Ashley and it stars Delta Goodrum um, Uh and it was like as she was like on Neighbours and becoming sort of like you know following in those like Kylie footsteps of you do Neighbours you start to do music and then you start to do movies and then you become a star and It's kind. It's a fun, kitsch, terrible movie, um, and this song is featured in it uh-huh. as the sort of like quintessential teen montage song. Right. And when you listen to it, you you just have that feeling of like this was. This song is destined to be in a teen montage. <laughs> like that's its only purpose. It's just to sure. be the fun kind of like ooh, like, transitional scenes are changing and she's doing cool stuff. Like, it's... That's all it is. Um, But I loved it so much. Um, And I remember trying to download it to my iPod Nano and I couldn't find it on iTunes at the time. I was, like, on LimeWire trying to find this thing and I ended up having to do something crazy like get the movie... And then, like, take the audio from the movie and oh, then wow. strip it and then make a file that I then somehow got onto my iPod and all this kind of stuff. So, um, clearly, I'm, like, the only listener of this song. But <laughs> I loved it so much. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, yeah, I just had a wee look there. Uh, just just under 20,000 plays on Spotify. Yeah. For this song, um, and I'm probably nineteen thousand of them. <laughs> that is not a lot. No, that's nothing. <laughs> I mean it's... that that is commitment to the bit. Like I, I, I remember the days of like uh, of yeah, like having to um, use like YouTube converters to get to get certain songs, and um, this is like post LimeWire days when I discovered what computer viruses were, and like trying to. Yeah. Find other methods of getting getting music i like my big thing was like downloading full series of tv shows and putting them on my uh um on my ipod uh but but yeah oh my god like downloading a movie and getting the audio from it that's uh yeah yeah it was 
like, you know, when, like, because it was that era where, you know, we didn't have, like, you know, Shazam or Spotify or or any of this stuff. And yeah. if you if you heard a track when you were, like, out and about, you'd be like, yeah. oh, my God, like, I need to write this down or, like, I need <laughs> to tell someone or, like, yeah. I cannot lose this track. Like, it was yeah. one of those things where I was, like, it just had this special little energy that I needed to, like, bottle. Um, yeah. And then all the effort, I'm not even sure if it was worth it. Like, it's not anything newfangled as a song, but I just, as a preteen, I was like, fucking love this song. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, I mean, it's, it's very, it's going to be very unique to you, which is a nice thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just you listen to it. But, um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I love that so much. That's <laughs> such, yeah. such a big commitment for, like, one song. So I know, and then people are gonna listen to it and be like, "You did all that for this? Like, what?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's an element of that going through my mind right now, but um, yeah, but yeah, it's nice enough. Uh, all right. Song eight is a cover, so you've gone for "No Secrets" by Missy Higgins. Mm. The cover category I found probably the hardest to right. just pick one for, okay, because I love covers and. Sure. I love doing covers, like, because in my shows as well, I will often, I will sing and I will take an original song and rework the lyrics to be about my life. I'll do that musical theatre jukebox thing where I'm, like, trying to be additive and, like, take it to a new level. So, covers I adore and, Uh you know, if I like a song already and then I hear someone put a different cool shade over it, I'm like, that's awesome. Um, and, uh, yeah, Missy Higgins does so many amazing covers. She actually has the album Oz, I'm pretty sure it's called, where it is just her doing nice covers of Australian music and Australian classics and that kind of stuff. And I love this song, No Secrets, and I didn't actually know the original. So when I heard it, just for, at first on the radio, I was like, oh my God, this is a very, like, because I'm a huge Missy Higgins fan. Mm-hmm. And I, like, grew up just adoring her and adoring her musical style. And when I heard this song from her, I was like, this is very, like, different for her. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow. She's like, it's, it. there's something in it, like, that kind of, like, tickled a different part of my brain and I found it very strange and then I was like oh because it's it's a cover of a different song um and then I went back and listened to the original song by the angels um which is much more of like a real like rock Aussie um thing and which I also like and I thought was really cool um but yeah I just think this is one of those like additive times where she's taken it and added some some Missy-isms into it mm-hmm. while honouring the original and um, yeah, it's just beautiful yeah yeah. It's I think it's really a testament to how how talented she is and how um, uh, I'm use the word authentic again, but like just how, how she comes across in her music because I think we talk about this in, in, in terms of a cover but like 
the stereotypical sort of strip back cover I mm. find can be very boring uh, similar to what we were saying about Glee like every strip back cover sounds like the same song quite a lot of the time yeah, it's got that like Disney stamp where it's like this is just mass produced in a studio yeah yeah because um, like you've got you've got like a version on Triple J right um, our equivalent in the UK would be Radio One's Live Lounge and mm. it has it's become a lot better and there's some really really good covers on that um more recently but like if you go back to the early days of live lounge and the um the, the first sort of cds that they put out they're all uh white men like bands going in with like two acoustic guitars and doing like a pop song um and dull just very very dull and I think like I saw a, a, like a, a a stripped back slow version of this song could be very boring. Like it could easily yeah. be very dull. Um, it could feel empty. Yeah, but there's a there's a real like weight to the way she performs, and uh, it 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 feels like she's putting a lot into it. That I think you know sometimes when people like put that sort of earnestness into their voice, it can feel very like, fake, especially when the song yeah. Like, dumb um like there's that uh um there's an acoustic cover of that song you know to the window to the wall and yeah like they're they're really earnest and like really like putting a lot of emotion into their voice i'm like how, how could you possibly be having an emotional reaction to this incredibly dumb song um mm. but yeah i think missy's version is like really beautiful and yeah, it just it just has an awful lot to it, and it adds a new perspective as well. Like yes, because um, the original is by the angels, and it's singing about a woman, and mm. it, the the angels are a group of guys. Mm-hmm. But when Missy's singing it, she doesn't change the pronouns, she doesn't change the context at all. She keeps yeah. it, so it adds this element of like a woman singing about a woman and I'm just realizing now how frequently this is popping up in my playlists mm-hmm. um it is clearly something that I gravitate around um yeah. a lot um that kind of like lesbian yearning that I really like relate to yeah. um because I feel like it's more permissible when it's women like you don't really as much get like I would love to I would love to hear more male yearning for men like that would be nice but for some reason there's something about like a woman singing about a woman has always been like that's that's kind of more accepted and like um understandable you know there's like whether it's like dolly parton singing about jolene or like Mm. um uh that kt tunstall um song suddenly i see you Mm. know those songs where it's um speaking about like what you think as a woman of another woman and i don't know having that layer that she's singing about that and missy higgins herself being queer Mm -hmm. and um it just feels really nice and yearning and lovely and um fucking love missy higgins (laughs) yeah i i love when artists cover a song and keep the pronouns of the original uh yeah because there's there's nothing 
I, I there's nothing sadder or more like uh insecure that I like I think that's why a lot of like men uh you don't have that same sort of yearning men yearning for men in those covers because the men who are singing are so insecure that they feel they like have to change the pronoun so that it doesn't it's not gay um yeah but Jolene is a really great example of uh of someone doing that though because uh, Jack White does a cover of Jolene and keeps the pronouns and I just I I, I just I respect it so much more because he's obviously it's it's not like a an insecure element to it it's just it's just being true to the song and like respect for Dolly Parton and there is nothing is more masculine and confident yeah than being unfazed by that like yes exactly whether queer or not if a man is confident enough to just be like I'm just gonna honour this fucking song I'm yeah. like a hundred percent there with him I'm like go for it yeah so like I do hope that we see more of it um, yeah going forward but I think that yeah is possibly why I have a lot of songs that are about women yearning for women <laughs> in my playlist because it's kind of like for now at least it's like that kind of dominates the field sure. <laughs> and I want yeah yeah <laughs> yeah the other side of that coin is um have, have you heard Michael Boo plays uh, Santa Buddy oh kill me I hate worst. it I used to work in retail and they would play it every Christmas just on repeat oh man it's it, it that is the uh, for me that's the most like insecure thing I've ever heard I'm just like I, I find that so pathetic I yeah, I, I know what he's going for, but it's just like, come on, man! Like, no one's gonna think less. Just of fuck you. Just Santa. Santa, just do it, mate. Like, don't be a fucking wuss. I can't. Yeah, <laughs> just fuck Santa. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um. All right. Song nine is the song you would sing at karaoke. So you've gone for twenty good reasons by Thirsty Merc. Yes, I just, I just fucking love this song, and I right. love Thirsty Merc. Uh-huh. You know, I was just talking about Missy and like I love Australiana uh-huh. and I love real like just you know, someone with their voice and a piano and a story to tell, or someone with a guitar and their voice and a story to tell. And I know that's not uniquely Australian, but sure. I I love hearing the Australian accent yeah. in singing. Because a lot of singers, and this is not unique to Australia, um, when they sing, they kind of like will become that more American dialect yeah. sound that we're familiar with, especially with pop or rock or whatever. Yeah, sure. Um, and, you know, some people kind of just almost like lose their natural element. And when people sing, in a way that's like, you sound like you and you sound like where you're from and you sound like you've got, you're not being inauthentic in any way. Mm. I love that. And Thirsty Merc, Missy Higgins are both examples of like where the Australian accent is shown off in a way where it's like, it's authentic, it sounds nice, it sounds like them Mm -hmm. and they're not like trying to fit some other mold. Right. So as like a rock band, I just, I love Thirsty Merc and 20 Good Reasons is just, you know, it's their hit, and I love it. Mm. And um, it's a nice, cool, melancholy rock song again. Yeah. And yeah, it sits nice in my voice. 
Mm. And it's the sort of song that when people would hear it, they'd be like, oh my God, this song. I forgot about this song. Right. Okay. It is, yeah. Um, I I think that's the sweet spot for karaoke. I don't know if it, if this song would, would translate to an international audience necessarily for that exact feeling, but I think that's the sweet spot for a good karaoke song for people to be reminded of the song rather than it be like oh yeah of course they're doing this it's karaoke of course they're doing this song um but if it's a song like oh my god yes i i used to love this or i haven't heard this song in years yeah. i think that that's perfect that's exactly what you want um yeah nostalgia yeah good one to belt as well like i think if it if it, if it sits well in your voice like that when you get to the give me 20 good reasons um and, yeah you know why should i let you go like there's yeah there's definitely some 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 good lines you can really take a good run up at for sure yeah and and you know you can imagine at karaoke you know you want to have people everyone's got their drinks and their beers and people are like it's loud and noisy and people want to scream along with you and like this mm. is such a like like you know just a man at the end of at the end of the road you know just begging like i want it i want it i want it you know like it's such yeah. a like scream out with me like let's fucking do this kind of song and i yeah. reckon it'd just be a blast yeah absolutely um also a very man thing to say like you need 20 good reasons um, yeah it's a, it's very much like oh you've, you're wearing a ramones t-shirt there like you know name me the top five <laughs> songs yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah actually mate like she doesn't know you anything she can just say she doesn't want to be with you anymore that's yeah true with, a simple no would it. have sufficed yeah but he's like no i need a fucking I need, essay i need 20 reasons yeah 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 true i haven't thought about that <laughs> um political context of that in 2023 but it was a different time it was a different time yeah sure. um sure and any australian who grew up you know in the 90s and the noughties or whatever like this song was everywhere and right there's also a really nice slow cover of it as well and more acoustic that is mm. equally beautiful and fun okay excellent check it out uh, alright song 10 is a song that reminds you of a specific place so you've gone for On the Ground by Rosé yeah so this one's a bit random um, it just kind of popped up for me because Rosé is um, she's one of the members of Blackpink who are okay. th- this enormous K-pop group that are just, just like absolutely slaying around the world Yeah, and I didn't know about them until I watched just randomly one night. They have a doco on Netflix about, you know, it, it like follows them for a year in their touring and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and one of the members, Rosé, is Australian. And I didn't know this. And right. I think she grew up in Australia and then she moved to New Zealand and now, and then eventually, you know, got synced up into the K-pop industry and now she's just um, like this superstar. But um, similarly, in her singing, you can hear an Australian accent. Right. And sure. when she's singing um, in like Korean, I obviously, like it's hard, I don't know this language, so I'm not hearing the Australianness. but apparently yeah. for um, Korean speakers she has a very strong Australian accent to them. Right, okay. um, And so I sort of became fascinated with her. I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And 
she released this track just as a solo artist and it's in English and you can 100% hear her Aussie accent. There are some lines that are like, almost sound like Veronica's kind mm. of vibe. And um, it's just a fun pop song about like remembering where you've come from. Okay. And like, no matter how much I might be up in the sky and like experiencing all these, you know, amazing things in my life. Like all I really want to do is just come back to where I'm from and like be back on the ground Mm. and having that association that that means like Australia or Melbourne. um, And I, I I was like, Oh, that's a nice, like very like locational feeling that I can come to. And I also had it as my um, pre-show song when I did my first stand-up show oh, wow. um, in 2021. Uh-huh. I, like, as the audience were filling in and I'm standing backstage, like, getting ready to come out, like, we just needed, like, pre-show music, Yeah, you know? And this song had just come out and I had it playing in the audience. And so it sort of became, like, a Pavlovian response for me that I started to associate this song with that like pre-show feeling of excitement of like, Oh, I'm about to perform and I'm mm-hmm. nervous. Um, and when I hear it now, it takes me back to being backstage in Melbourne before my first Melbourne comedy festival. Oh, and, um, it was also like, that was the festival where things really kicked off for me and like, mm-hmm. um, kind of, blew open the door for more opportunities. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just have nice associations with that song and it takes me back to um, performing and being in Melbourne and all that stuff. Yeah. All right. Amazing. It's a really good song as well. Like, it's... I mean, that that's that's definitely an added bonus. I, I, there are certain songs that I have that remind me of certain places and they're really nice memories but really shit songs and I never want to listen to them again <laughs> it's really good to have like a, a great pop song as something that like, yeah to, to bring you back to that um oh, so nice it's lovely yeah it's Excellent. cool yeah it is a good song yeah speaking of yeah good songs <laughs> <laughs> um, song 11 is a song that reminds you of a specific person so you've gone for <laughs> nothing in this world by paris hilton now hear me out okay? okay um so you told me as well that this isn't the first time this has been featured on a playlist is that right that's correct yeah beck charlwood is the first do you remember what category she had it for Oh God! Uh, no, but I'll 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 find it. Yeah, hang on. Yeah, wow. Because that's so funny to me. Because it is like, I mean, Paris Hilton doing music is already, you know, a ridiculous concept. And <laughs> yeah, even then, within her very limited repertoire, we have "Stars Are Blind," which was the sort of, um. The one that was like the hit and everyone loved, but I'm not really much of a fan of. I mm. always much preferred Nothing in This World. I was like, they're both kind of bad, but if we had to roll with one, why aren't we rolling with Nothing in This World? Like, that should have been her vehicle, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. But um, it 
It's just a very fun, stupid pop song. She has like a three-note range and, <laughs> you know, yeah. they do what they can with very little and um, the music production team is just working overdrive to compensate. Um, and what you're left with is this very like Marilyn-esque sort of sugary sweet, like, I don't know. It's, it's just a fun, stupid thing. But anyway... Yeah. <laughs> I associate it with my best friend. Um, he and I have been friends for like 20 years and we went to school together and then we lived together and like we've just been through so much together. And when we were in high school, um, neither of us were out. We were both still in the closet because we went to a very, very Catholic high school. Right. And... Um, having campy interests like Paris Hilton or things like that was very like not the thing to be doing. And so we would sort of like share in stuff like this together. Right. Um, and it was just always like a nice safe space that we would have. And we studied Japanese and in year 11, we uh, went on exchange to Japan Mm-hmm. And I have this vivid memory of being on the plane to Japan with my best friend. And as we were like coming into um, Japan and like we could finally like see something mm-hmm. in Tokyo, um, nothing in this world was the song that was like playing on my right. like iPod at the time. Uh-huh. And it had this, it like the way that it was like parting the clouds and then, like, you know, you can see Mount Fuji and it's like, oh, my God, we're in another country. Oh, my God, we're in Japan. Like, you know, like, those kind of, like, feelings happening as this da-da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was just, like, weirdly kind of fitting and nice. If Like, because mm. as a song, it sort of sounds like the opening credits song in a in a fun movie, you know? Sure. Like it's just a nice like scene setter kind of song, and yeah. I associate it with my best friend because of that. Because we were like, of course, we begin our trip to Japan with "Nothing <laughs> in This World" by Paris Hilton. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, yeah, my life. I, I just, I, just I, I, I messaged you at the time. I couldn't believe that this was the second time that I had "Nothing in This World" by Paris Hilton on a. <laughs> on a playlist on the show um the other thing i said to beckett that it really reminds me of is um have you ever seen the film just friends uh yeah. is that Ryan no oh i think i have but uh, i've forgotten everything about it fair i think that's fair um but uh anna faris is in it and she plays this uh is it samantha james or something like that like this I, th- I I honestly could be based on Paris Hilton, but um, yeah, if, if you ever see it, it's just the way the way she sings and that the, she does this like afar afar, she does this sort of like background vocal to her own vocal, <laughs> and it's very Paris Hilton in this song. It's just like just this little like these little echoes that she does, and I'm like, oh god, yes, like the not... breathy kind of like ho ho. Yeah, it's it's not it's not it's not mixed in at all. It's just sort of it's just sort of there. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's 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 something. I, 
Beck put this in uh, category two, uh, a song that took her a while. Um, and I think her justification was more or less that you sort of... <laughs> like, sort is of it cool to, to like Paris Hilton? <laughs> it, yeah, and it's sort of, it was basically sort of like, you need to understand the entire journey of the uh, Paris Hilton, like... Um, Law. Lore, exactly. Uh, <laughs> to fully appreciate the song. Like, everything that she's gone through, everything, like, the character that she was, the sort of where she is now. Um, which I can appreciate, but I think it's a lot of fucking work for what is not a great song, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she was talking about the way it people, is. the way, like, men talk about David Bowie. You know, and, like, it's... Oh, you my ha- God. You really have I need to, to get... talk to her about this. Yeah. I'm going to be messaging her immediately after this. <laughs> Because I yeah I I think I had definitely done the work right. in that sense I had yeah. I had very much been a part of the Paris Hilton law and yes. so it's kind of like the girlies who get it get it the yeah, girlies sure. who don't don't and sure. if it's not for you that's fine it's yeah. not for you but like yeah. you know this song is just <laughs> yeah. so random yeah. I, I will say I'm a I'm a big fan of the uh, the Paris Hilton that we're seeing uh, in the mainstream now. Basically, going on interviews and saying, "Nah, that was all just that was all bullshit." Like, I can't yeah. believe you guys. She's like using her real voice finally. <laughs> yeah. She's basically like, "You guys are idiots." You, you, yeah, you thought that was me? No, that's that's all wrong. I was, I was actually. I, was I saw this morning she announced that she's doing a like a anniversary remix of stars are blind with Kim Petrus. And I was like, that's great. But can you do nothing in this world? Like <laughs> for me and Beck Charwood specifically. <laughs> yeah. I'll get the three of us on for a listening party when that happens. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Okay. Uh, song 12 is a song that motivates you and you've gone for, I want to get better by bleachers. Yeah, I mean, it's all there in the title, hey. Like, mm. I love that sentiment. And Bleachers as a band, I've only discovered, like, maybe in the past three years, mm-hmm. but have just skyrocketed to being my favorite band. Like, right. I, I can't think of a band that has... Like, you know, when you listen to an album and you're like, there's no skips, there's no skips. Like Mm. every song I'm kind of gelling with or something like that, like the sensibilities of this, of like the, of the lyrics and the, and the tone and the vibe and the feeling. And it's all just works for me. And, Mm. um, a lot of their songs motivate me and make me feel really like centered, but I want to get better. I picked because it is that quest literally to like almost like being angry at yourself. Like, fuck, like, come on. I need to, I need to fucking do this. It's time. It's, it's due day, you know? Yeah. 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 And, and there's something in the way that he sings in this track in particular that has this kind of like impending urgency. It's like, you know, life is happening and it's fast and I've come on, come on, come on. I got to keep up. And, Mm -hmm. um, they sort of incorporate that into how the the guitar and the bass is happening. It's quite like pulsing and fast and mm-hmm. um, 
yeah, I it, it feels like a reminder about like, you know, it's the rat race out there and you, you we've sometimes got to do a lot to, to keep up, but um, mm. it's Sisyphus with the rock, you know, we got to keep going, we've got to keep pushing and keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this, this song was picked on a previous episode as well. And oh wow! And a a very recent episode. So this this I talked about this song in this category with uh, Grace in well for the listener last week's episode for you literally what what do we say sixteen hours ago last night yeah yeah oh my god I will I got to chat with Grace about this <laughs> you got some That's crazy. to do afterwards yeah um so so yeah I mean for me. An absolute blast! Uh, it's it's the second time a Bleacher song has come up. Uh, uh, Lena Moon picked um, uh, "Stop Making This Hurt" uh, in her episode, and yeah, I absolutely love that. Um, but yeah, as far as like a band goes, because my music listening is so dominated by doing this show, I don't tend to do deep dives into bands unless I'm like I'm sure I'm gonna love it. Do you know what I mean? Because like mm-hmm. I, um, as much as I enjoyed "Stop Making This Hurt," I didn't. I didn't know that there was there were going to be so many more songs I would love, and I fucking love this, and I'm definitely going to get into the, the the band as a result. Um, I think the the lyric that I talked to Grace about that I, that I absolutely loved is the uh, um I didn't know I was broken until I wanted to change, and yes, from from like a mental health perspective, that like that hit me like a ton of bricks because. I've 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 not heard that sentiment expressed in such a way before, and uh, that's for me that's exactly how it felt. Like I didn't, I didn't, didn't realize how bad things were until I started to get better, and then I was like, oh right, mm. everything I've been experiencing that's not normal. That's not what I. Yes. That's not how things should feel. Um, and you need those wake up call moments. Yeah, and and this is like this song is that is that wake up call. I think it, it has that that real urgency and that real drive behind it particularly as it gets towards the end of the song there's like a there's like an anger almost to it um mm. which, which is like like the real sort of driving force behind it and and it's different for everyone obviously but for me that is something that that, that does help me if i am i'm in a bit of a funk or if i want to motivate myself to do something is to be like oh, you just need, you need to get a fucking grip you need to like do something about this like it has to be yeah the, the, yeah there has to be that sort of urgency and like almost anger around it to get it sorted yeah yeah and you got to have that like that push and it's not going to come from anyone else it's not going to come from any external thing it is an sure. inner kick in the ass that we have to just be like you know what i'm fucking sick of it i've had enough i need to change i need yeah. to adapt um I have a lot of like warm sentimental feelings about this song as well because in my show um, at Comedy Festival last year, I actually used it for one of my covers because um, my show last year was all about turning 30 and mm-hmm. how for a, gay, for a gay man in particular, that's kind of like the gay apocalypse, you know? It's like you... Sure. Um, you're, you're past your prime and... You know, historically as well, it wasn't common that you would have a lot of, like, older gay role models. You know, we lost a whole generation of gay men 
and you know it's it's now a new and nice thing that we can see um you know older queer people who are out and happy and healthy mm-hmm. and married is a big thing and right. so i actually did a reworked version of this song mm. um and i changed the lyrics to um i want to get married and it was about how i had had throughout the years all of these feelings about like how i didn't want to get married I, I I didn't want to do it because I thought it wasn't for me. And for a long time, only until a couple of years ago, it was literally illegal and it wasn't a thing for gay people. And I thought that that was never going to be an option for me. Mm. Um, and I like used the song as like a, as like a sort of like narrative throughout the years. Like it started when I was in primary school and I'm kind of like having those first feelings of like realizing that I was into boys, not girls. And, and that I was different from my peers and that like all of the kind of like binary setups weren't sort of fitting for me. Yeah. And then it jumps to high school and it's like, I'm just facing like abject bullying or homophobia and this kind of stuff. And then mm. I'm like, fuck, I'll ne-. and you know, my parents getting divorced and it's like, I never want to get married. I never want to do this stuff right. until eventually I use that final angry chorus where it's like, you know what? Fuck it. I've had enough. And I sort of used it as like the yes vote or the the plebiscite that we had in Australia about gay marriage, which mm. was an extremely emotional time. Mm-hmm. And that breakthrough moment when it all came good and we voted yes. And finally, for the first time in my life, it felt like there was this possibility that it's like, yeah, maybe I could get married. And like, right. that is something that I can want. Like, and this is a bit of a segue, I know, but I think the whole reason that like this song for me felt like emblematic of some feelings that I was having about something in my life that I needed to like take charge of my identity and my, my sexuality and be happy and like champion that is um, the lyrics. Like you said, I didn't know I was broken until I wanted to change, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the next lyric is, I didn't know I was lonely till I saw your face. Mm-hmm. Like, that sense of like, I didn't even know what I was missing until I realized that I could want it, you know? Yeah. And like, for me, it's like marriage is one of those things. It's like, I just always mm. thought that it was never going to be a possibility. Right. So I never even let myself think about like, maybe I could be with a man that makes me happy and like, that could be a future for me. I just yeah. sort of saw doom ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And then... Yeah, I don't know. There's just beautiful lyrics in this song and they really touched me and made me think about my own life and the things that I wanted to be doing to like make a change and like yeah. stand up and act and um yeah, that sometimes we have to realize those things where it's like I'm missing this element and it yeah. life is happening and it the time is now. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Song 13 is a song that someone introduced you to. Uh, so you've gone for My Husband Makes Movies from Nine. Yeah, this is beautiful, this one. I um got introduced to it by my musical theatre um, teacher at uni, mm-hmm. who definitely, like, 
is one of my like musical inspirations because he changed how I thought about music and he changed how I thought about um, song entirely. And I spoke earlier about that, like A to B, the like transformation that can happen yeah. and that we should see characters that are on the precipice of something, you know? Yeah. Or trying to figure out something that is nuanced and maybe they don't even completely figure it out, but maybe there's just a sense that they're a little bit closer in that journey. Yeah. Um, And he used this song from nine, the musical, which is all about like this Italian film director and nine different women in his life. Okay. So, and even though technically it is about, um, Guido, who is this director, mm-hmm. the show, like the the premise of the show is that we're really learning about the nine women that circulate around him and mm-hmm. orbit him. And, you know, that includes like his wife, his mum, his mistress, his muse, um, and all these different women throughout his life. And they all get like, basically like one song some some of them get a couple, but mostly there's like one big moment where that character gets to kind of come forward and like you you see into her world and um and not just as like a shadow in Guido's life, but like why she's got her own story and you know, what matters to her. Right. And so my husband makes movies is from the perspective of his wife, Louisa, and she is someone who used to be an actor and she was she would be in his films and that's kind of how they met but their love life has sort of started to crumble and he's become obsessed with his work and started cheating on her and you know they have that kind of like jaded older thing Mm -hmm. and throughout the show she's kind of like quite cold and um she feels quite distant to the audience And then she has this song, My Husband Makes Movies, where she's sort of on the surface level bemoaning, like, he's always just, you know, all he thinks about is movies, all he thinks about is that. And and she's just kind of, she starts like with a tinkering thought about that. Right. But slowly, just by talking about that, it's almost kind of like it opens up this vein and it becomes much, much deeper. And she's sort of like revealing like, you know, she's, it's like she's saying, I'm not living the life I wanted for myself. I'm not getting anything that I needed and I'm not fulfilled. And, you know, my husband doesn't, isn't affectionate enough and isn't around enough and I'm losing him and I'm losing my sense of self. And I used to be this grand woman with a future and a prospect ahead of me, Mm. but now I feel stuck, you know? Um, But it's all happening like beneath the surface. It's really smartly written in a way that technically she's just talking about, you know, this is what Guido does in a day to day. He does this, he writes his stuff and then he's obsessed and then he comes back, he comes back to bed late. Mm -hmm. But what we're really learning about is her and her heart. And it's so soft and subtle Mm. and just really lovely. And, transportive and it's one of the most perfectly written like 
character songs that like you leave that song feeling like I know who this woman is. I know what she's about. I know where she's going and how she feels, even though technically she doesn't use a lot of like I statements in the song. It's all about Guido on paper, but we leave it feeling like, wow, she's got so much dimension now. Hmm. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So this, so this is, in terms of your education, then this is one that really stands out for you. Yeah, yeah. I remember being pretty mind blown because mm. I had this kind of like, oh, I don't, you know, it's just a song about a marriage, or it's a song about her husband, or something like that. Yeah, and then you know, my teacher was like, no, you got to look deeper, you know, like what she, she's saying one thing, but she's meaning another. And what, what is that thing underneath? And, you know, the way that the music swells to accompany her, like, cause it's, it's sort of tangential, the song. It's like, she's, she's kind of like ruminating and then she'll think about one thing and then the music will kind of tinker away in that direction. Mm. And then sometimes there's like swells of, of anger where she gets mad and she's like, you know, something will trigger something. And then because of that, the song gets a bit angrier and the and the underscore becomes darker and yeah. that kind of stuff. But then at the end of the song, she calms herself down and she sort of returns back to the state that theoretically she started in. Yeah. But we know now, oh, we were seeing you as kind of cold and one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. And now that you're returning into that performance state where you're like, this is what I present to the world. Mm. We know that beneath the surface, there is a beating heart. Yeah. Depth. Yeah. Okay. Um, amazing. All right. Song 14 is a song you wouldn't expect to like. So you went for Tales of Dominica by Lil Nas X. Yeah, I love um, Lil Nas X. And he just in general surprised me. I, Mm. um, you know, because he started with, you know, the sort of like, um, like Old Town Road and um, kind of things like that. And I was like, oh, it's just like, you know, it's just like fun, funky rap stuff. And I was like, yeah, not usually my kind of thing. But um, his album and that he came out with, recently Montero Montero um, his his album um, is a real journey and has such nuance and he's a really good singer as well as a Mm. rapper but as a songwriter as well he has a lot more thought put into it um, than I had expected and as a queer man as well like um, there are a lot of nice thematic things that I really relate to Mm -hmm. um and Tales of Dominica as a song probably is the the peak of that. It's quite this understated song. It's definitely not like one of the ones that is like a single and is like blasted on yeah. the radio. You know, like you really have to like listen to the album to find this song. Right. But um, it's him talking about like growing up and like remembering um, like where he came from and that feeling of like being dislocated, I suppose, like, Mm -hmm. and having to kind of go on his own path as a queer man to find happiness. 
and yeah. how that's kind of scary. And at the time, you're like, I don't know if this is going to pay off for me. Yeah. Um. So it's quite a dark song. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah, it's it's it really did surprise me, and I um. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was it was the same. Um, I think a lot a lot of people felt the same, but it would have been very very easy for him to uh, do Old Town Road and then disappear and then never have to do anything ever again. Um, and it's interesting now looking back on what he was doing with Old Town Road in the context of like what an insanely gifted artist he is, and you look at what he mm. did, and it's it's actually really really clever how he utilized that situation. I think. Um, Doja Cat had something similar with um, Say So yeah. where she basically wasn't allowed to re- to play anything else publicly by her record label because she had like this incredible hit on her hands and I think at the EMA she did like a rock and roll version of it just to like to do something different with it I guess but um, uh, he made so many different versions of Old Town Road and did it with like so many different artists and tried to reach like all these different audiences with it um, and for having like one song it's a, it, it's really really clever the way he's utilised that and then he's gone away and could have phoned it in and just done like any album and it probably would have gone down well because he's had like all this commercial success but he's created this piece of work that is just incredible and like critically acclaimed and, and thoughtful. thoughtful like it's very yeah. you know he didn't need to be there's there are some real like somber almost yeah tones and moments in this album that you know a lot of artists probably wouldn't be confident enough to even dabble in and yeah. even if they did maybe not until like album 3 or 4 you mm-hmm. know but he's like no like i'm going to be true to myself and a true part of my story is that this is you know how i feel and and this is the reality i'm facing and like it completely changed my perspective of him because it's like, you know, when like a, like a Nickelodeon or a Disney teen has that like moment where they're like, I need to break out of this box and I need to do some kind of like, you know, Miley Cyrus wrecking ball kind of song that like completely like shatters expectations so that I can build a new, Mm. it, I feel like he kind of used like old town road or maybe even, um, Call Me By Your Name, which mm-hmm. was designed as this, like, provocative, um, you know, get yeah. people talking and, you know, be very in-your-face and very, like, pop, edgy, heavy. Yeah. Um, they're kind of like the Trojan horse to be like, let's get that out of the way. Let's yes. begin on this level so that we can do the thing and, you know, obviously also publicity. Let's talk about the album. Yeah. So that you can listen to the album and actually find out that I'm a three-dimensional person and I've got all these nice other mm. things to say as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very smart. Rebecca Black did the same thing. Um, <laughs> and I'm not sure that's a comparison that Lil Nas X would welcome, but uh, but yeah, um, she's actually written some like decent pop music. Um, she has some of the new yeah. stuff I'm like I, I it's like I don't want to like it but I am and yeah. I'm like what is happening yeah yeah it's crazy um yeah I, I'm, I'm I'm feeling a bit bad about making that comparison to be honest but anyway um 
<laughs> song 15 is a song that you think everyone should listen to. So you've gone for Origin of Love um, from Hedwig and the Iron Grinch. Yeah, this is my favourite song of all time. Right. And when I saw your list of questions, I just, I was like, I know that that will be on this thing. Right. No matter what. It's just, so, I don't know if you've seen Hedwig and the Angry Inch, the musical or the movie. No. Well, it's, um, it is a bit of like a cult classic and both on stage and as a movie but um it is my favorite musical my favorite movie my and this is my favorite song from it it is this really interesting strange emotional beautiful story Mm -hmm. about um uh this character who escapes um Berlin before the fall of the wall by basically um, at the time having a sex change to so that they could get married right and um, it was like the only way to do it because being in a gay relationship was not feasible sort of thing but Hedwig as she takes as her name um she's sort of it's all about feeling stuck and you know this queer search for like finding yourself and she just wants to be a rock star as well Mm. and her music gets sort of like co-opted by this kid that she was like writing with and um developing a lot of the songs with he takes it and runs with it and he becomes a commercial success right. um, with a like bastardized version of the tracks that they worked on together okay. and she like the musical follows like her basically going from city to city that he's performing in stadiums and she's performing in like dingy bars and this kind of stuff mm-hmm. um, but it's like she's singing the real tracks. She's singing the songs as they're meant to be. Right. And from the heart and, you know, without the corporate sellout element. And, um, this song origin of love is, it's this like epic. It's, it's about the idea of like this, like cosmic sense of like, who are we and why are we here on this earth at all? Mm -hmm. And the idea that like, it's it takes like mythology from like ten different kind of you know religions and spiritualities and sort of mushes it all together into this strange story about like how really in life it's like we were all created as this bound entity where we had two heads and four legs and then some Zeus figure basically split us down the middle and mm-hmm. that we are doomed to search the rest of our lives to find our other half or to find someone who will make us whole Mm -hmm. and um so that's like the origin of love comes from the fact that we were split from someone that we were meant to be with kind of thing right and she spends the whole musical basically on this origin of love trying to find that person that's gonna 
make her whole and make her feel full again and realises by the end of the show that um, we have to be that for ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, love is beautiful, but we can't, like... We have to accept that we are completely full and valid and centred in ourselves, and it's hard to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, she is very much in the process of doing it. But, yeah... I don't know. And this song, it's just a fucking epic. It's such a cool rock song. It's so yeah. strange. It's got this, like, growing, swelling, um, like, person at the end of the universe, just, like, you know, the, the imagery that it creates. It's so grand, and yet mm. it's also just so small. All mm. it's saying is, like, you know, you and me against the world, we can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. It's it's, it's incredibly compelling. Um, I would love to be more into mythology than I am, but uh, there's just so much about it that I'm like, there's it's just too much. Um, and I think if every, uh, you know, Greek or Roman myth was presented to me like this uh i would i would be a lot more into it um yeah but yeah it's um it's a it's a concept that i've heard before i don't know if it if it if it originates here but um i've I've heard that concept before you know that like the 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 uh the mythology that we're you know essentially two people and you're split, split in half and doomed to find your other half on on earth um but the, yeah, the way it's presented is just so interesting and so well done. And I love that they've also presented these uh, three sexes in there mm. as well. Um, uh, uh, yeah, the the whole thing is just beautifully written. Incredible. Because mythology, especially Greek and Roman as well, is so queer you know like even though that wouldn't have been the sensibility like they wouldn't have even had words or thought of it as gay or queer or trans or whatever it may be but like it is littered throughout a lot of that mythology and you're right like in this song there is that idea of like the third sex almost like Mm -hmm. there's you know people who as bodies as well don't fit neatly into this sort of like binary sensibility you know like at one point she's singing about like there's a planet where that's like it's like there's children of the sun who are um male and then there's children of the moon who are women and then there's children of the earth who are something else you know Mm -hmm. and like having something that's very like bodily as a song yeah, and about the idea of like our wounds that we carry and feeling severed from other parts it's very mm. layered and like as a like queer or trans like allegory yeah. it functions a lot um, in this current day it's really beautiful and insightful and just an amazing epic of a song Yeah, and John Cameron Mitchell who um, performs it he also wrote 
Hedwig and stars as Hedwig in the stage show and the musical. And so, and like, he's a good singer, but Mm -hmm. it's not his, it's not like his amazing vocals that makes this song. No. What makes it so special is that he's so unbelievably authentic and you hear the, the feeling in his voice and you know, these are his words put in his way and it's just, and like knowing as well that it was a bit of a cult thing, like it wasn't really, when it came out on stage, like audiences didn't really know how to handle it. It was quite like transgressive, pun intended. And (laughs) it was a bit too much as a show and a bit confusing. And like, it didn't neatly answer a lot of the questions that audiences were wanting. It kind of left these questions hanging. Sure. Yeah. And, um, and the movie was, you know, it didn't get any kind of reception, um, but is like in both of them, he's like, no, I'm I'm going to do these things my way, even if it's weird or strange or a bit different. Mm-hmm. And for the people that need to hear it, it will be exactly what they need to hear. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That's a little bit of to end on. Uh, Charles, yeah. so do you have... Uh, do you have anything you want to plug or promote while I have you? Yes. Well, if any listeners are in the UK, I'm coming to Edinburgh this mm-hmm. year for the very first time. I've never been to the Fringe and I'm doing the full run of my show Cockatiel at Gilded Balloon. I'm doing 27 shows and I would love to have you there. I would love anyone who wants to see some fun stand-up that has some nice covers and sentimental moments if you liked anything I was talking about in this you'll probably enjoy my show perfect alright well thank you so much thank you so much for having me this was great And that is it for episode 62 of Mixed Evening Entity. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, if you have the opportunity to go and see Charlie perform live, then please take the opportunity to go and see Charlie perform live. If you're in the UK and you can make it to Edinburgh, he is at the Fringe Festival in August. If you are Australia-based, then he's there all the bloody time. So just go and see him and support live comedy. Uh, the links are also in the description of the podcast. So if you go to Charlie's website, you can follow links through to his podcast, which is great. And you can follow socials as well, Instagram and Twitter. Um, so yeah just go and show him all the love and support he deserves it if you like this show and you want to support it then different ways you can do that if you are in a position to support us financially that would be much appreciated we do have a coffee link set up so you can throw a couple of quid or a couple of bucks for an episode that you've enjoyed there's no monthly obligation there unless you want a monthly obligation if you're not in a position to do that that's absolutely fine please support us in all the other ways like the podcast rate share all that good stuff leave a review that helps a lot um, and mainly just tell your friends get more people listening share it on your Instagram uh, tweet about it um, yeah it's it's very much appreciated and it keeps the lights on keeps me doing this so everybody wins I'll be back next week for episode 63 so in the meantime look after yourselves and we'll speak to you then